Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the We Are Speaking Podcast. During each weekly 30-minute episode, we address some of our favorite topics, including American history and culture, government, education, and politics from a Black perspective. We are very glad you're joining us today. The podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including online training and one-on-one coaching to independent writers, creative and solo professionals, and very small business owners. You can find out more at our website, teamowens313gcc.com. As a free or paid subscriber to the We Are Speaking publication, you can access the podcast podcast episodes through the website or on your favorite podcast player. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. My name is Pamela Hilliard-Owens, and I am one of the co-hosts of We Are Speaking in partnership with my husband and business partner, Keith Owens, who also wrote and performed the intro and outro music for the podcast. And speaking of Keith, here he is. Hi, Keith. Hey, good to be here again. Well, this week, we're going to take a little bit of a detour, not much of a detour because one of our topics is American history and culture, but we're going to take a little bit of a a detour into American culture, speaking, uh, including music, including specifically music like Prince, Jimi Hendrix, and so on. And because my husband and business partner, Keith, is a real musician and also somewhat of an expert on some of these musicians, I'm going to turn it over to Keith. Before I do that, one of the reasons we thought about this is, can you believe it? It's been six years since we lost the purple one. Oh, we are still in mourning. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah, we wanted to talk about it. It's been a, a Prince. I've been a huge fan of Prince for, for a long, long time. And, and like Pam, it's been how many years now? Six. Six, six years. Yeah, since since Prince passed. And the, the it's just amazing because the amount of impact that he's had on not just music, but as Pam talked about, the culture. And of course, music is is culture. But some musicians, most musicians, they make the impact through the, through the music, the music they play. But when Prince got on the scene, he he could pretty much change the entire game, all the way from the way the music was played to the way it was sold, and also in terms of you know gender roles, which is a big issue now. I right. mean, there was. When Prince first got on the scene, there he even had a song, you know, is he, is he straight? Is he gay? Mm-hmm. You know, and and he would have covers where he wore something. I forget the album. Looked like he was wearing something. Looked like a, a skirt. And he's had any other outfits that were very gender nonconforming. And, and those high heels. Yeah, high heels. And it was and and of course he had that high falsetto voice, you know, that he employed so well. And it wasn't really until later mid career where it became apparent that he was, you know, quote unquote straight. But one of the jokes that went around I saw later was that Prince Prince was the only guy who could who was who could be five five and wear high heels and still steal your girl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was because of his impact on the culture, but also because one of the things that defines musicians the most is when everybody knows your sound. Right. When Miles Davis hit a note, when Jimmy hit a, hit a note, and when when you hear Prince on, you know it sounds because because music is finding yourself. And Prince was the same way in terms of how he expressed himself. And and many of the greatest musicians, oftentimes they pay a huge price for the impact they they make. Because when they express themselves, 
they're ahead of the curve. They don't mark, they, they, as Pam often says, as, as a school teacher who sees children like this going up as, as their kids, they march to a diff- the beat of a different drum. Right, right, you know, right. So they, so they, don't, they, mean, they don't dress the same, they don't talk the same. And when you look at those outfits now... They hear they, different things in their heads. In their heads, right. They hear their different music. So when people look at now and look at Jimi Hendrix and say, oh, he, he looks so cool with the headband and, and this and what he wore at Woodstock, <clears throat> what he wore at Woodstock or what and uh, or the hats that he wore, Prince with the outfits. He wears Miles Davis, the outfits that he wears. But you forget, particularly in this instance, when I talk about outfits, more with Prince and Jimmy than with Miles. Miles didn't get really too much ridicule by the time he got there. But I'm well, not for that. But for Prince and Jimmy, in the early days, there was a lot of ridicule and people wondering what the hell was wrong with them. Right, right. In terms of how they did that. But they changed things. Prince also culturally was, became a huge advocate for for musicians being in, in control of their product. Right, right. I, that, I, that's what I wanted to touch on. Right. Because a lot of, well, a, a lot of people who are our age <laughs> remember this, but when Prince um, changed his name to the symbol, symbol right. and, um, and and everyone was calling him the artist formerly known mm-hmm. as Prince, mm-hmm. there was a business reason behind that. Talk about right, that. Right, right. Yeah, the business reason was was that Pr- Prince, he couldn't, con- he could, like a lot of musicians, he could not control his, could not control his masters. Uh, right. he was with He was with Warner. Right. He was signed with Warner. Matter of fact, was he the youngest? When he signed with Warner, he may have been, if nothing, one of the youngest ever because he signed a contract, I believe, at age 17. He was. He was the youngest artist ever to get full creative control. Right. That age, right. Because he, I believe he was 17. And he had sent in a demo tape where he played every single instrument on there. And when, when the executives heard it, mm-hmm. nobody believed it. I think the guy presenting said, no, and they said, okay, that sounds great. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Now here's the other thing. He's playing every instrument. Right, right. And nobody could believe it. So he got, and nobody got that. And then right. when he was signed, they want, he, he also demanded to produce his right, own, which right. it was unheard of because they were going to, they wanted to have Maurice White from Earth, Wind, and Fire producing. Mm-hmm. For anybody else, would be a huge thing. Right. It's like, no, Maurice, Maurice is not going to do me. I'm going to do me. So that's the prelude. But then, as, he, as his career exploded, of course, that, as with what m- most musicians know, when you when when you're selling CDs through a company, when you're signed with the company, you don't get much money from right. that CD. Right. The CDs and pe- many artists don't know as much now because CDs are not the big thing now. Right. It's, it's all digital, it's all digital mm-hmm. and they get less money. That's another right. discussion. But they the, you would the CDs would sell for fifteen fifteen dollars, say or twenty dollars. By the, and and but by the time most of the money went to the record company. Right. Promoters. Promoters and, and everybody else. Producers and all, and all that. And by the time it got to the artist, it was, I think that they got basically cents right. on the dollar. Right. And the reason why they got, that's why artists have to continually tour. Right. You know, because exactly. they got that's the money. what I've heard. Right. Because they couldn't, and now it's worse because only artists the size of Prince and Michael Jackson could make sizable money because they were selling so many albums. Right. Right. But even cents on the album meant a ton exactly. of money for them. Exactly. But, but when Prince Prince said, "This is my music. Right. Why do you control my music?" And he right. fi- and he finally won the battle, and he got back his control mm-hmm, of his mm-hmm, masters. Mm-hmm. And and then and he created his own company. And I um I forget the name is slipping my mind is the, the, the name of the company they created. But people were saying, "Okay, well look, before you were selling millions of albums." 
worldwide. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a it was a subscription service, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people and the question was, okay, well now you're only selling hundreds of thousands. And he said, yeah, but when I was selling millions, I got one t- one maybe one tenth less than that of the profit. He said, this all the profit is mine. Right, right. You know, right, right. he said, and the, he said, and he said, do the math. The number of albums that he made so much more on significantly less albums sold. And he had control over what happened to mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. the way he was portrayed, mm-hmm. etc. And so, and it was, it's, it's an argument because I had a good friend of mine who's also a musician and she would never say that she played music. Right, she said okay. she performed. For the reason that too many times artists are viewed just as that, people think it's just getting up on a stage and you're just playing around. You're having a good time. And of course, musicians enjoy performing, but so it too often like everything else, like a doctor, like a lawyer, the amount of hours, the amount of study that it takes to perfect that. When you watch a Prince performance, most people, when we enjoy watching somebody perform, you enjoy it. I mean, right, you, love, right. you have a great time. It's a great show. You don't have to de-identify de- every single aspect of why you feel it's a great show. Mm-hmm. You know, you just know it's why wow, you walk away and you're saying, wow, and you feel great. But when you go back, and I've done this more as I've gotten older, when I've gone back and I go back and I look at performances by Prince or Hendrix, those are I tell my favorites, George Clinton. But when I watch their performances and I, you watch Prince, you watch watch his show because although I know he's not a fan of, he was not a fan of YouTube and understandably again be, understandably again because of control right. of image because right. of YouTube he everybody all of his shows were being and nobody who wasn't getting paid right but right. but you could see if you if you if but when you can see a performance of Prince mm-hmm. the ones that you can get from YouTube or wherever you can get them you watch a performance of Prince the thing that is so remarkable is it's it's perfection, right? You know, right. Prince was the entire package. Right. He had genetically, he had the looks. Not everybody can get that. He was he was basically a gorgeous man. You right. Know, he was and he had the look. He had incredible vocal range from from low range to high range. Mm-hmm. For rock musicians, you know, one of the real treasured things vocal is your scream, right? Like the James Brown right, scream, right, right, right. You right. know, Prince had a huge you, scream. The song "Get Off" right, when he opens right, right. off is just. Uh, and also uh, Darling Nikki. Mm-hmm. But when I first saw that movie, that's the movie that really turned me on to Prince, Purple Rain. Right. When he did Darling Nikki. Right, right. The way that that screen right. came across. But then his performance, he can play any instrument, you know, flawlessly. Mm-hmm. But also watch the performance. Because remember, he's the band leader. Right, So right, it's not right. just that. So, and you watch the band, the, 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 everything. He got the precision. He watched James Brown as Michael Jackson did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he got the precision. So his band members are trained the same way. They are precision. Right, right, okay? right. There right. are no backing tracks. Mm-hmm, a lot of musicians mm-hmm. now, they don't know how to perform without backing. They, you right, there, you're not right. really watching them. All the musicians know their steps. No, you know, not have their 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 look, mm-hmm. you know, the way they're dressed, the the way where they're positioned on stage, every the way that he dances, what he uses he uses the mic he got there from James Brown, and one thing we were talking about before the show in terms of where his influence came, you can see he he was a flawless student. I mean, from James Brown, obviously, like once again mm-hmm. from Little Richard, right? Oh, you know, right. The, mm-hmm. the pompadour hairdo mm-hmm. and the falsetto. Way plays piano sometimes. He didn't do, not as many theatrics sometimes on piano, but you get a but. The influences I'll just list real quickly. But you have Jim, you have Jimi Hendrix, specifically on guitar. Right, right. You have Sly Stone, and you have uh, 
who the rest of, yeah, Little Richard, Sly Stone, Jimi Hendrix, Beatles, he pulls randomly from others. And let me stop you right here because mm-hmm. this ties in perfectly with what our company, Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community, mm-hmm. does and me as an educator right. because you were talking about branding and running a business. And that's what we talk about in right. our company. And Prince was a master, and a lot of other people too, were a master at branding, mm-hmm. okay, number one, but also a master at making his music into a, a business. And this is what I, I wish students would learn in junior high, high school, college, not just uh, making, you know, studying their instrument or their voice or whatever, but also how to build a brand around themselves, especially if they want to go out there and be a professional musician, but also how to run it as a business. And this is why Jay-Z is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Okay, because he knows how to set it up as a business. And uh, we have some other clients. I don't want to mention their names out loud, but we have a, a, special, a couple of clients between the two of us who are, and I use this word, are masters at branding themselves and making their art into a business. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you have, when you're making your art into a business, sometimes you spend as much time on the business end as you do on the artistic end. And there's one person that I'm thinking about. This one person I'm thinking about in particular, he's a master musician on his instrument, master musician. But he's also he has also over the past couple of decades built into a business. And this particular client, I don't want to mention his name on air, but he was working in the auto factory. He already knew he was great on his instrument. But he was like 22, 23, got one of those jobs, one of those great jobs where you come out of high school and go work in the auto plant and supposedly you're set up financially for life. He just said one day, I mean, he was young, like mid-20s. Yeah. He, he just said, no, this is not for me. I'm a musician and I'm going to make this work for me. And he literally walked out of the plant on a Friday and never returned. And and I'm talking about back in those days when, when those auto plant jobs were, were the best, best career long term. And so I'm, I'm just saying this because as Keith continues talking about these musicians, the branding part is so important. You have to control your masters, mm-hmm. but you also have to control your brand. And when Prince decided, you know, he was never, he was not going to be called Prince anymore right. because Warner owned that. Right. He was that's, at, that's what it was. Yeah. Right. Warner right. owned that right. name Prince. That's right. And that's why he used the symbol. That's right. Because he could be, and it took years, but he finally won against Warner, got right. his masters yep. back and all of that. Right. But while he was fighting that battle in the courts, he went ahead and rebranded himself as that symbol. Right, and that, and that no, I'm glad you, that, that uh, that's the part I had forgotten. That's right, because he was because they controlled his name. Right, which he said was wrong. Right. And for a while, he he would perform, and and on the side of his face, he wrote "slave." Right, exactly. You know, because exactly. Of, now he doesn't even own his own name. Right, so he had to change that so they could you know record because they also thought that he he um, produced too much content. Right, they right. Only wanted, and and he was like, "Who's going to tell me how much I can do?" Right, so he right. had to release the rest under the symbol. Right, and right. control and that. As a quick aside, that's been such a long fight. George Clinton and Funkadelic, that's how they became Parliament Funkadelic. Right, exactly. Because, exactly. George, because one, again, the part, the problem they were having with one, mm-hmm. and George just said, well, then I just created another band. Right. You know, right. Funkadelic. And then they had the you know, Brides of Funkadelic, you know, Bootsy's Rubber Band. But that way they were able to, to move anyway, they, and same musicians. <laughs> Right, you know, but move, but it's always that fight for control right. of your own identity. And and this, like I said, this is something that is n- unfortunately not taught in school. If you all know about Ray Charles, when he first oh. started out, because he was blind, and and they were paying people in cash. We're talking about in the forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. He 
demanded to be taught to be paid in one dollar bills because yeah. he could count because he, he could count those <laughs> right. and that was and he couldn't being blind he couldn't tell the difference between a one dollar bill mm-hmm. or twenty dollars but if you gave him five hundred one dollar bills he could sit there right. and count five hundred one dollar <laughs> bills and then remember he went to court and got control of his masters and that was one of the early people who got control of their oh, masters yeah. and but I want to go back it's just a great example. yeah go back to one of my favorite mm-hmm. artists Stevie Wonder yep. okay and you were talking about how Prince could play almost every yeah. instrument mm-hmm. back um, on Stevie's album Talking Book mm-hmm. he is the one who made the synthesizer into I, a musical instrument yep, yep. because he of course he can play drums and he can play harmonica mm-hmm. and he can play um, piano and keyboard and but sing then, and, and, and sing too but on Talking Book he did two things he made he, he made the synthesizer do all the other instruments okay number right, one right. and we were, we're still in the, the Talking Book came out in the days when we still bought actual albums right. vinyl albums and he created a synthesizer yeah have, he created the ARP Things yeah, right. He created his own synthesizer, but he, that was the, also the first time that one song immediately led into another song right. without a break in between. And if those of us who are old enough to remember right. records, <laughs> after one song was over, there was a little uh, space there right. before the next song started. And Stevie was the first person to have the one song blend into the next song. And wasn't there a reason for that? For there, there was a reason. For, I'm gonna have to look it up and see. But that was on talking. That was on the Talking Book album. Right. And so and so talking about musicians who changed not only the culture but also uh, the the way the music industry is oh, done yeah. and that's why he left Motown and and went to Tam- Tamla was part of Motown he, Tamla, he, yeah, right. he was with Tamla and he left Motown for a while they yep. had to convince him to come back right. and I'm sure that in convincing him to come back to Motown and Tamla there was a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff in that contract because he's another one who who you has uh has so much music he's he's like Prince mm-hmm. he, he dreams new songs right. when he's asleep and then of course with his weight with with his work with the civil rights and and, and mm-hmm. African American rights he is the one who when he wrote that song happy Happy birthday yep. to you. That was to Martin Luther King. Yep. Yep. And between him and our congressperson here in Detroit, John right. Conyers, and all, they are the ones who are most responsible for making the Martin Luther King birthday into a national holiday. Right. Okay, so we're talking right. about the influence of music and musicians beyond just their playing their instrument. Right. And like you say, he's right. Stevie had left Motown for a while and came back. And of course, he was one of, but also over a long, over long term, he was one of those who remained faithful to Motown for so long. Right, right, like, right, well, right. Which is they appreciate because he knew what they had done for right, him. Right, right. But so many times with so many companies, they those who are not artists don't understand artists as much as they need. And so they always, the managers always want to go with what sells. Right. And right. And, the, and the which holds musicians in check. Because, right, right. Because creators create. Right. And they grow. And when you have somebody like Stevie right. you know, mm-hmm. or Prince, they grow exponentially. Right. And they grow so fast. And they're and they see what's coming, and you and I'll make a quick analogy that's not to music, but to Steve Jobs and Apple. Steve Jobs. Steve mm-hmm. Jobs. And one thing that Steve Jobs said is that he didn't wait for what people said they wanted. Right. He said, "This is what you're going to want." Right. Right. Yeah. You know? He was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Apple were phenomenal at that because usually people, you know, people who are inventing things or advertising right. or whatever, you know, they look and see what people want right. and what people think they need. Steve Jobs let us know no. what we needed. Right. <laughs> when the iPhone came out, nobody ever seen anything like right. that before. But he told us through all of his marketing and all that that this is, this what, is what you, you need. need. And, and and it was so unusual because on a rare time, our business 
this person, in that sense, right. thought like an artist. Right, exactly. Because that's what an artist does. An artist doesn't sit back and say, let's let's see what the popular tumor is, then let me go make a song like that. Some do, but the innovators, right, you right, know, like, right. like Prince, mm-hmm. they hear those songs. And they say, this is what I'm hearing. Right, And this, right. you know, Marvin Gaye, he got a huge pushback when that album, What's Going On? Right, right. Because and then when you did the Ecology so- song? Right, because he's talking about social issues. Right. And they didn't want to do that. Barry Gordy did, did not, not want, want to do that. They didn't want to engage in that because they said, wait, this is going to rock. You know, mm-hmm. we want people. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Right. They, you know, it's not happy. It's not upbeat. But they were, but the musicians, were like, they were looking at the time. They're right. Saying, they're looking out on the street. They said, people are out there, you know, are upset. Right. They're revolting. They're, you know, they're they're, they're protesting in the streets. Mm-hmm. And we're talking, you're talking about, you know, dancing in the streets and that's great songs mm-hmm. at that time but it's like we have to this is what folks want to hear that's mm-hmm. why with James Brown when they were having they were having a revolt I think it was in Boston right you know, and they and they called him no when Martin Luther King was assassinated right, right. You, and they were going to call off his his concert, I believe, mm-hmm. and they said if you call out James Brown, right, you know, you're really gonna have a problem. Have a problem. <laughs> but then James, but James Brown was the one because they listened to him. Right. When people were starting to get in trouble, he just he said he he spoke to the crowd and they respected him. And he's the one who came up with in the '60s. Right. Say, um, it, loud. I, I'm, say it loud. I'm, I'm black, black and I'm, black and I'm proud. proud. And before that, black people didn't use the term black. No, that's right. They used Negro and they used colored. Right. But in the late '60s, James Brown can say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And that when we changed to calling ourselves black people. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because then later on, Jesse Jackson started using the term African American. Yeah, right. And the reason I remember that is because my younger daughter, my two daughters, their father is from Somalia. So they are African. And, mm-hmm. and so my daughter was in junior high school when that term became well used because of Jesse mm-hmm. Jackson. And my daughter said, I don't know what everybody's always so excited about. I've always been an African American. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so talking, you're talking about right. how how People influence uh, the, the the culture, and it's funny because talking about the Temptations and James Brown and all of the most of the Motown uh, people in the sixties, they wore their hair in oh, conk yeah, right. and, and all that. But by the early seventies, they all came out in afros, afros including right. James Brown. Right, and then he went back to the conk. <laughs> he went back to the conk, yeah. Right. And that, that's why um, that's why Reverend Al wears a conk yep. to this day. Yep. Yeah, in honor of James Brown. Mm-hmm, that's right, because mm-hmm. he had he was because he was such a close relate. That's a whole another discussion. Because Al had we had such a fun, uh, incredible, remarkable upbringing I'm between right. Adam. Well, that's another discussion. Yeah, we'll talk but, about that another. But, but that, I'm but, writing uh, that down for another topic. Right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, because of Jane, his relate close relationship with James Brown. Mm-hmm. But the James Brown died the day after Christmas. I'll never forget right, that. Right, right. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and there and p- p- it's so unappreciated. Oftentimes, the impact. That artists have on the culture because right. again, like I said, you look at Prince and people and people look at entertainment number one as if they're not as if they're not employed. You know, right, it's almost right. a joke now when somebody's using they say get musician or an artist. You know, the phrase "get a job," you right, know, get a real right, job. Exactly, exactly. You know, and what that is really when when people whether or not they see an artist fail or somebody who is fails to make it and, and comes down and then then because that means okay now they're now they're miserable like me right exactly <laughs> you know exactly. You, you're you're mad because you can't do right that. right and and that that's really what that's all about I mean because not everybody can create people right. understand when you when you have songs or when you're writing stories and mm-hmm. like that it's not not everybody can most people cannot do that right you know right. the way music comes through you when you perform and, and but at the same time because it's it's so is so misunderstood, right? Of the time, then it, it gets mislabeled, right? Right, and and unfortunately, in this society and in others, just not this society, it happens in many other societies worldwide. They, they they you know 
people, the societies tend to want to, you know, control or mismanage what they don't understand. Exactly. You know, exactly. and they can understand the average ordinary person. Nothing wrong being average ordinary. Most of us are, but but those that are outstanding or right. unusual or or who are artists because artists are not normal. Right, and that's exactly what we were talking about before we started the podcast. That's exactly what uh, Reverend Al Sharpton said when he when he was preaching Michael Jackson's funeral. And because there there are people, and I've always said this, there are smart people, there are intelligent people, the next level up there are brilliant people, but above brilliant is genius. And geniuses like Michael Jackson, like Prince, they're on a whole nother level. And we regular people will never understand that. And that's why they seem they seem weird because they're so they're above they're above brilliant. They're I mean their their whole way of thinking, their whole way of living is completely different from the way that we ordinary people see things and do things. And we need and right. And I guess we'll come close to wrapping this up, but just that's the, how we want to memorialize Prince. I think is just an appreciation of artists and what they do, right. and also underst- understanding, as Pam just said, they artists are very, very unusual. And when you get somebody who, you know, when they artists like Prince, like Michael, something they can't sleep. They're up all night because they have to get the music right, out. Right, they right. can't not sleep until right. the song gets right, out. You right. know, they can't, and and that's what motivation that's what pushed it and and it's hard for many of the rest of us to understand what that's like where you just have to right. you know do that and i think and, and i and i put that back because yeah. we're getting ready to run out yeah. but i put that back to the number one entertainer of all time in my humble opinion was sammy, sammy davis, davis jr, jr. and talk about talent he could play every instrument he could sing he could act and if he had available to him what was available oh to michael god. oh my gosh yeah. um oh yeah you know, uh, he he was restrained not only because of the technology that didn't exist, but also because of the racism. racism. And he was so um, restricted by that. And he spent a lot of his time trying to prove himself to white people, yeah. un- unfortunately. Yeah. But his talent in all areas cannot be denied. Oh, and yeah. I always, because people say, well, who's the greatest artist of all time? A lot of people put Prince, a lot of people put Michael. Michael. But but Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, could do Everything, everything. and if he else. had everything, and if he had available to him, right. um, what was available to Michael, I who who knows? Technology and marketing both, and marketing. If, right. he, had, if he had the social social media, everything right, where right. he make videos, because like Pam said, he could do everything. Right, right. He is the he Sammy Davis Jr. is the number one entertainer, entertainer of all time. When I say of all time, I mean like in the last couple of centuries. Right, right. <laughs> and you know, totally, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. So this has been a great discussion. Uh, number one, we wanted to honor Prince. Number two, we wanted to get a little, a little bit away from some of the political stuff. We'll come back to it, don't worry. <laughs> but also, we're still within our topic of American culture. Right. So uh, thank you very much, and we will talk to you next time. So next time.